You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Talking About Podcast. I am your host, as always, Daniel Olinger, joined by Sean Kennedy. Sean, we had a lot of friends on last week to react to the NBA draft, just that four-hour live stream. It's a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun. And also, I think our most downloaded podcast by far once we uploaded that to the feed. So thank you all, all of you listeners out there for either tuning into the live stream, which seems like people had fun, and then or listening to the pod afterwards. Uh, Sean, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Daniel. Uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for all of our colleagues who took part with that. And for everybody out there that either watched the live stream or listened to the audio later on. Uh, yeah, we appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we can do more things like that in the future. And uh, yeah, it's Thanksgiving. So that for those it. of you uh, out there listening, it will be the day after Thanksgiving at the earliest. So I hope everyone had a terrific and safe holiday with a uh, smaller group of family than you're probably used to. Um, so, but nonetheless, hope everybody had a great day. And uh, yeah, we're, we're ready to talk NBA basketball. We are, I mean, that's the crazy thing is the NBA season's already less than a month away from really starting. And also on Thanksgiving, I want to give a big thanks to Daryl Morey for drafting Tyrese Maxey, drafting Isaiah Joe, even drafting Paul Reed wasn't my favorite prospect, but still. And then also trading for Danny Green and Seth Curry. We have a completely different team. Oh, oh and I should mention Terrence Ferguson too, although, I mean, I don't, I don't expect Terrence Ferguson to be in the plans, but... Yeah, he seems like a salary cap filler I, for a future trade more than anything. I don't have the specific stat on hand, but I think it was like two years ago for like players that reached a certain minute threshold, he had the lowest like points plus assists plus the rebounds box score of anyone, which was like averaged like three points per game, two rebounds, one assist in like 25 minutes of play. Maybe he's an aspiring club trillion guy. Are, are you familiar with the, <laughs> the, the club trillion movement? Oh, I am a hundred <laughs> I know club trillion moves. Yeah. For those who don't know, it's was started by Mark Titus, who was a walk-on at Ohio state who he started a blog while he was there. And basically he called himself club trolling. Cause if you check into the game, just like at the last 10 seconds, it marks you down as like playing one minute and then just, you have zeros everywhere. So it's 1 trillion is what shows up in the box score. So he would, he called, called himself club trillion. He now has a podcast and is pretty successful. I, I, I followed his work. So yeah, I, I'm very aware of club trillion. Uh, yeah. And, he, and he, he, he played with Evan Turner in college, too. So that was always a great Sixers yeah. tie because he would talk about Evan Turner. He gave him the nickname, the villain. Oh, so yeah. then every, everyone on LB started calling Evan Turner the villain, even though Evan Turner did not like like the nickname himself. Yeah, that was because in his book, he basically he because I mean, he was obviously joking, but he like 
he painted the picture as Evan Turner was the villain who kept him from getting playing time because I mean people forget as disappointing as NBA career might have been for a number two overall pick Evan Turner did win a national player of the year when he was in college and he had a pretty good college career he also is like Mark Titus was on like one of the greatest AAU teams ever I think the starting five was Greg Oden Mike Conley Josh McRoberts Eric Gordon and Daquan Cook who all played in the NBA and he was the sixth man so another fun fact for everyone out there yeah that was a really solid college team (laughs) definitely one of the best of the last 15 years or so well today we are not gonna we have to stop talking about college basketball even though it was back yesterday and it was fun today we are talking about the NBA and specifically how the moves that Daryl Morey and the Sixers brass have made in the past week have changed kind of where they sit in the east so and there's obviously been a lot of changes with the draft and free agency this past week so we're going to kind of reassess the eastern conference here go through where we think each team is at obviously spending most of our time on the Sixers but like seeing like oh did this team get a lot better did this team get a lot worse what are the Pistons doing stuff like that (laughs) yeah we're not going to talk uh 45 minutes about the Bulls and Pistons I I was ready (laughs) Uh, all right so I I think the best way to do this is go to to go from like the bottom teams to the top kind of build up because we'll probably spend more time on like you know the more important conversations there so like I like tried to like put my list in tiers of so these were the four teams I was and maybe it could you could separate the fourth team out of here but these are the four teams I'm like 100% confident are not making the playoffs and some people argue about one of the teams but I had at 15 the Knicks at 14 the Pistons 13 the Cavs and 12 the Bulls yeah that's right I mean the Bulls are the the one of that group that could maybe be a little frisky and and be like four games out of the eighth seed with like two weeks left in the season. I I could definitely see that, but yeah, I don't think they have any real chance of being a dangerous team this year. I mean, they're in the playing tournament this year. So like, cause they, so the top 10 teams will all get a shot. That is important to remember. That's true. So yeah, bulls, bulls have definite, Hey, we're gunning for the play in tournament vibes. But I feel like every year everyone says the Bulls are frisky. They basically brought in Pat Williams as a pick and then not much else. I think they just they lost Chris Dunn. They just signed someone else. I'm forgetting who. It was like actually just signed another guy today. I think they got Garrett Temple as well. So, I mean, it's like I mean, I have a problem with the Bulls strategy. Basically, all those guards. I don't think Kobe White and Zach Levine are helping you win too much. It's just when you have guards who are as bad at passers and defenders as theirs are, it is very hard to win unless you're like upper tier elite offensively, which I mean, Zach Levine's good on offense, but I don't think he's like, I don't know, a top 15 offensive player. The one thing I will say about the Bulls, yeah, you're, I agree. Like they don't have that blue chip star mm-hmm. uh, and they don't have, you, you know, they have some young guys in, and Levine's a, a good player, but I think everyone kind of realizes his limitations. Um, and, and yeah, they have some guys that are young could still progress and be great players, but it's, it's, it's kind of a more of a crapshoot with a lot of their young guys. Um, but I will say getting Billy Donovan in to replace Jim Boylan, that could definitely be an upgrade just from like a Billy Donovan is a average head coach at the very least whereas Jim Boylan seemed like created a toxic like literally a toxic environment and players were 
seemed to be like outspokenly glad that he was leaving just with all his his punch clock and the 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 players council and all the kind of antiquated and outdated ideas that he brought to the table that didn't connect with modern players i i feel like just the upgrade in that sense could help them be a little more of a stable and productive team so that's something where i i think we can look at it and say hey the bulls would they they finished 11th in the conference last year just getting a few more wins from sheer competency at the coaching position is is something that i would maybe be hopeful about if I was a Bulls fan. No, that's you. You definitely have a point there, and I do think they have at least enough talent that they won't be terrible. As for the other three teams, I mean, the Cavs. I did like their pick of Isaac Okoro at five because their defense has been. You could argue they've had the worst defense in NBA history the past two years. And Okoro, if there's one thing he can do, it's defend on the ball and make smart rotations. He'll be good for them right away. And I. Also, they signed Damian Dotson off the Knicks, who I actually like as a shooter. And as, as much as like Andre Drummond and Kevin Love are overpaid, they still are talented. So I feel like they're just not the worst. The Pistons are – I'm so confused as to why the Pistons paid Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumlee that money, let Christian Wood walk. It's, it's, it's just absolutely befuddling. And like I like Jeremy Grant a lot, but Jeremy Grant only makes sense, I think, if you are a winning team who could use what he does well like as a third or fourth player on your team. Where, whereas Jeremy Grant for the Pistons, he went there because he thinks he's the guy now. Like, no, Jeremy Grant went there because he got $20 million a year. Well, they said <laughs> the, Nuggets, the, Nuggets matched, the Nuggets matched the money. They, the report was that the Nuggets offered him the same contract, but he said the Pistons promised him like to be the guy. Really? I didn't. Okay. I didn't see that. So like, um, yeah, that, that's weird. <laughs> I guess Jeremy Grant wants to shoot more. So more power to him i guess <laughs> and just even though he played really well in the playoffs just some stats on jeremy grant from cleaning the glass he was his team was 10.9 points worse per 100 with him on the court in the regular season last year which obviously i mean the nuggets are a good team so if you if you're like not on the court for your all the time your team might be a little worse but still like they were an overall net negative of him on the court in the regular season and he also has infamously is a bad rebounder with despite being about six nine and athletic forward is 10.1 percent defensive rebound rate is fourth percentile among guys at his position and like he can do all these things and i like him as a spot-up shooter and i like how hard he plays on defense and what he can do as a shot blocker rim protector but like so you're paying three years 60 million as a team that's bad to a three and D wing whose best thing is that he can do a lot of things. If he's a tertiary option on your team, he helps you win. I just, I am absolutely just, I have no idea what the Pistons are doing. They were definitely the head scratching team of this off season. There, there was some people that crunched the numbers and like, Oh, it's kind of interesting that the Plumlee and Jeremy Grant contracts perfectly align with Blake Griffin. Yeah. Is, I, is, is, is there something there? And I guess I reserve the right to amend my opinion if that later comes to light that there there's something going on there and something happens with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, yeah, giving three years was it twenty five million to Plumley is oh. in in the running for dumbest moves of the off season. Not that that's it's it's probably not going to be super damaging. Like it's three years and we always talk about, Oh, it's nice to have those kind of bridge contracts to help you Mm -hmm. in larger trades. So that would definitely 
be an instance where that could actually be a, a help, something that's helpful for them in a future move to have that contract on the books there. Um, but yeah, there's there's probably a lot better things you can do with that salary cap space than give it to a veteran guy that taps out as like a backup center ceiling. Um, a veteran center whose best skill is backwards dunks. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, you could maybe just throw in another Plumley to give him a rest and no one would notice. So maybe you get like three players for one. Oh um, <laughs> yeah, so Detroit just, they they entered the offseason and we, we talked about this on the the live stream draft that we did that they, they still need a, a blue chip guy to kind of say like, hey, here's the future that we're, we're building around. And not only do they still not have that guy, it's also the case where they haven't like stockpiled assets. So if you weren't in a position where you have your blue chip star and you're trying to build around him for the future, then you should be doing everything you can to put yourself in a position to, uh, to either draft, probably draft in their case, that guy in the future by stockpiling draft picks. And, and they didn't do that. Like use this, use the cap space you're spending on Mason Pumley to get a draft pick from another team to take a, take an unwanted contract or something like don't just sign Mason Plumley so that he could get eight points and six rebounds a game for you off the bench and maybe help you win one more game. So yeah, I don't know what Detroit was doing. <laughs> and I do like Killian Hayes' draft pick at seven. He was top three on my board. He was number one on Kevin O'Connor's board of the ringer. A lot of independent draft coverage guys online all had him like top three. He's, someone that a lot of people are really high on. I do like him a lot, but it's just because this is actually, this is the big thing is that this next draft class of 2021 is loaded. So if you could like ultimately bottom out for one of these super, another superstar prospect like this, I'm totally in favor of it. Whereas Grant and Plumlee provide you just enough that you might not suck. And they also have Derek Rose, who I feel like they have to trade at this point because he actually is a good backup point guard. Actually one that if the Sixers got as a backup guard, I would not hate, but um, then also we still have the Knicks who I had at 15th and the Knicks are the ones who could really bottom out. And I just, I feel like they're already giving up on RJ Barracks. They are, look, they are really, looks like they're just going to be really bad again next year. And they're not going to do a lot to de develop him. Like this, their signs were like Nerlens Noel, Alec Burks, re-signed Alfred Payton. It's nothing has fixed the problem really of RJ RJ Barrett not being able to drive to the rim because Julie, either Julie, Julius Randall has the ball or the rest of his team is just like no one respects them from three. I, I guess Obi Toppin, if you play him as a small ball five at times, is like a good enough shooter that he'll draw some guys out, but he's only one guy and I still have a ton of concerns about Obi as an NBA player. So I, I think the Knicks are just going to be really bad, but you know, Cade Cunningham's an incredible prospect from Oklahoma State, the projected number one pick in this class. So, you know, if you're the Knicks, if you could bottom all the way out and increase your chances at landing Cade, I would be in favor of that. Sure. Uh, the one thing I will say about the Knicks offseason was that they didn't sign any bad contracts. Yeah, of course. So, so they, they seem to be doing taking a smarter approach with, like, even the guys they signed. It's like one-year deals. It's not going to hurt them in the future. So, yeah, if you – and I, uh, we were a team that in the Sixers that thought Nerlens Noel would be a perfect backup center. So the Knicks getting Nerlens Noel, like that's good for them in a vacuum. I mean, yeah, it probably doesn't help them because they're not going to be in the playoff hunt anyway. So there's less value in having a solid backup center 
as a team that's not in the playoffs, but uh, yeah, you don't hate that signing. Um, the, the Knicks. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what, I don't, I'm not a Barrett guy, so I don't even know if building around him and is really the answer, but I guess you do have to see what you have in him. But that, that's the thing there. I don't think they are trying to see what they have in him because they're not building the optimal context for him, which is put like, it's a little bit like, even though he's not as good as him, it's like the thing with Ben Simmons, where the best context for Ben Simmons is you get, you put four shooters out there, clear up the paint. It's let's go. That's the thing of RJ is his best skill is that he's really strong. And with his size and handles at that size, he can get to the rim a lot and, and finish around the rim, but they're just not doing that really. No, they're not. Um, there was the, the one rumor that um, the Knicks were the only team that, had the cap space to kind of facilitate taking on Batum as part mm-hmm. of a, a three-team deal so that uh, they wouldn't have to do the stretch and wave on Charlotte wouldn't have to do the stretch and wave on uh, Batum to facilitate getting Hayward in under the cap with that signing. So yeah, if the Knicks end up doing that and you know, you know they get some kind of protected first round pick or something for taking on Batum and they, they do those kind of smaller deals just to kind of help you know, stock the war chest of, of draft assets, um, then I would say they did fine. Because like I said, I don't think they did anything particularly harmful. So if, if they can be smart about, you know, just getting a couple small assets here and there and just knowing that they're going to be towards the bottom of the standings this year and get a better shot at top guys and what's considered a better draft class, then I would say they did perfectly fine. It's mm-hmm. just, uh, it's going to be a long time for the Knicks. So they have to kind of take the, take the longest view in the room uh, as a a former NBA general manager once said. <laughs> well, you mentioned Gordon Hayward going to the Hornets. They are in our next tier, at least my next tier. This was like the four teams that I would definitely expect to compete for that play-in spot. Like, not horrible teams, but definitely not contenders yet. And I had 11, the Wizards, 10, the Hornets, 9, the Magic, and 8, the Hawks. Do you have any – would you say those are the next – next is your next tier too of like four teams that are just you can tell there's a little bit of a difference between the, them and those previous four teams in terms of they might be a little more competitive yeah they're definitely going to be the the hey we're we're in that seven to ten tennis range um that's that's kind of where they top out at um i would i would distinguish them in that the hawks are yeah they're have- building they're kind of building the right way so they're if we were doing power rankings, their arrow would be pointed up and it's just a matter of time until all of their young pieces, you know, develop more and progress and gain more experience. And I, I think the Hawks are doing, you know, aside from not taking Doncic and, and doing that deal, um, I think they're doing everything in the right fashion and, and their long-term trajectory looks very good. Um, Charlotte, I think, is kind of the opposite where they're just content to be stuck in this tier forever seemingly like as long as they're not in that bottom tier they're happy and they just want to do everything they can to remain in this bottom of the playoffs just out of the playoffs tier which seems to me to be the absolute worst way to go about being an nba franchise um but that's just that's my opinion um yeah washington's kind of in a weird spot because they have Beal, so they have that blue chip guy, but it's really not enough. And I guess you got to 
figure out what's going on with John Wall. Well, I, I can tell you it's that the, the thing that's going on is that John Wall isn't good anymore, but he thinks he is. Right. Yeah. They're just gonna, they're in a tough spot, and I'm not sure what I would really do if I were Washington right now. They they could trade Beal and completely bottom out, but it's it's hard when you have that guy and you're already like you do everything. Generally speaking, you do if you're not LA or New York, like New York, run by a, a competent front office. So I guess Brooklyn now. If you're not that premier location where stars will just come to you, if you have a star, it's really it's really hard to just say, hey, we're going to get rid of that star and start from scratch. So I understand Washington's reluctance to do that, but yeah, it's it's hard to see a path for them to to really make that jump back into true contender status while Beal's still around um, just because he's going to raise their baseline so significantly because he's a great player. Um, yeah. And then there's, there's Orlando that, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I can't say I hated anything Orlando did, well, but they, they didn't do anything. They drafted, yeah. they drafted Cole Anthony, Shima Okiki, their pick from last year is healthy. Now, Jonathan Isaac isn't playing this year. That's basically all there is. They did not do anything else. Yeah. There, there is the, talks that ah, I'm totally blanking on which team it was, but someone wanted to trade for Aaron Gordon. Every team wants to trade for Aaron Gordon. It's every team always has interest in him, but no one ever wants to pull the trigger because they, at the end of the day, Aaron Gordon, while very good and very intriguing. It's like, well, his shot like is okay, but it's not good enough. He can pass, he can defend, but does he really create shots for a team that well? Does he like, there's just Aaron Gordon is just, it's not enough at the end of the day, every time you look at it, you see all the good stuff, you get enticed by him, but it's never enough to make you say, this is the trade I want to make. They're, the famous trade that draft like NBA Twitter has always proposed was CJ McCollum for Aaron Gordon. That was it. It was, um, yeah. well, it was Portland. Portland had Aaron Gordon as, as their number one target. And then when Orlando refused, they pivoted to Robert Covington. And, so. and honestly, Covington, like, I think that's a good pivot by Portland. Robert Covington that fixes a lot of the problems they had in terms of just a viable shooting threat and like backline defense. So, I mean, totally, I think Portland got a lot better. Totally agree. It's yeah. Just from Orlando's perspective. Oh, Portland, you have Aaron Gordon as your number one target here. Like give us some good stuff. Aaron Gordon isn't taking us over the top of getting out of this. Hey, we're a seven to eight seed every year. So if we, and honestly, I don't think you lose a ton by losing Gordon, if 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 you're in Orlando's position, like you're still going to be pretty good, but not good enough. If you lose more this year because Isaac is going to be out with his injury, and just that's that whole identity is those athletic, versatile forwards. True. Yeah, and and the yeah, I I will say that the the Isaac injuries is such a bummer because he was really starting to come on last year. He's, so. a, he's a defensive monster out there. Just Florida State has had this run of like. Six, producing six eleven wings with gigantic or like just such gigantic wingspans and he covers ground like you just wouldn't believe i i really like isaac as a player yeah uh, yeah and i think that's kind of the consensus so everyone was everyone across the nba was just really heartbroken to see him uh suffer another injury like that um yeah i, I again i just i don't know what you do if you're orlando it's they're they're going to be pretty good because they have a lot of like very solid players, but they're they're they don't have the the star caliber talent, so they're they're not going to be they're not even going to be in the second tier of like maybe contenders, let alone the the mm-hmm. true contender tier. So 
yeah, I think if they're if you're them, you you have to do the things like trade Aaron Gordon and you know get some pieces that can maybe help you get a that that star piece. Now now do they think hey we can use Aaron Gordon plus other stuff to maybe position ourselves as a disgruntled star market? I guess that's kind of well, probably they, what they're they thinking can, is. They can think that it's he it, that's not enough. Like right. Any, for if any team was trading like a star to the magic, the first thing they're asking for is Jonathan Isaac. Yeah. So and even I, then probably want to see him come back from injury. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. So yeah, it's again, it's it's a tough spot, but unlike Washington, where they have the true star, so I feel like it's really a difficult decision to bottom out. Um, Orlando's kind of in this weird space where they can give away pieces and not really affect their position in the standings too much because they have this broad swap swath of like very effective but not star tier players so losing one isn't going to kill them so so start start doing stuff like that like if portland's really interested in aaron gordon yeah do that um that's that's kind of where i see them so but yeah they're they're definitely in this tier of like they're they're probably going to make the playoffs um they'll they'll definitely make the play in tournament uh so, well, I mean, where I, they go from there, I don't know. I mean, to me, the Hawks are better than them now. The Hawks adding Bogdan Bogdanovich, Gallinari, they have Clint Capella from the trade. They drafted on Yeke Akongu. That's two good defensive bigs. We're not we're not sure what's going on with John Collins. They might trade him for more wings. Brought in Rondo so they can have a functional backup point guard. Like, I mean, I don't think the Hawks like, and there are still problems with the problems with the Hawks going forward long term, and that. How good can you be if your best player, Trey Young, is just a defensive liability every second he's on the court, but he is that special offensively that he makes your whole team's like scoring system go? It, but so I think they are probably have passed the magic in my mind. And fun fact about this tier I've made of these four teams, this is the Southeast division minus the heat. This is all <laughs> Southeast teams. Uh, and yeah, I understand like, a lot of what we're saying, like the Hornets and Magic are the ones we feel, well, the Hornets, Magic, and Wizards, we feel worse about them just as an NBA fandom as a whole because they feel more like the treadmill of mediocrity teams who just aren't really doing as much. They're just good enough to not bottom out, but not good enough that you get excited, whereas the Hawks are like young and up and coming. But like with each of those teams, at least the Hornets, I did – why well, did not like the Hayward contract, and I was very confused as to why they re-signed Bismack Biombo. Did the they? Hornets, I didn't even see that. <laughs> I think it was. Too, I don't know if the contract details came out, but they decided to. They wanted to relive the Biombo experience. Um, wow. The Hornets, the Hornets, like, if at least with Hayward, it is the thing where, contrary to the Knicks, who are not doing anything to really help RJ going forward, it looks like, and might have already given up on him. The Hornets by signing Hayward, I do understand that in a sense they're like. They want to give LaMelo, LaMelo Ball, who is my favorite prospect in the draft. I think he's going to be maybe an all-star one day. I think he's that good. They are trying to give him a good context to develop in that you're not going to make LaMelo suffer through some terrible team that can't help him get better right away. So at least it's like, hey, here's Hayward. He, you're going to like playing with him. He'll make, make things better for you as on the court. So I understand that sense. The Wizards, I just... I just the Wizards I don't and I, I the Davis Bertans contract well I do like Bertans a lot five years 80 million it 
someone said it reeks of like Ryan Anderson getting that four year, 80 million contract all those years ago, where it's just, it's hard to pay shooters that are not particularly young where their only skill is shooting because it could age poorly. So yeah, I, I just, I, I don't know about the wizards. They do not excite me that much. Yeah. It's, it's like I said, they're, they're kind of stuck in a tough spot that, I'm not even sure what the best best path for them would be. So it's it's hard for me to really criticize their their decisions because I don't know what I would do myself in their position. Um, yeah, well, the, the best path is to trade Bradley Beal to the Sixers for Tobias Harris. And <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that will definitely put their their franchise on the right path. Yeah, Tommy um, Shepard, if you are listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, but in regard to the the Bertans contract um i don't think it's it's nearly as bad as the anderson contract because he's at least a guy that's more mobile anderson was a anderson was a guy that you really couldn't play except at center it seemed like in the modern nba like him at power forward was asking you to get roasted by any mobile fours and then if you played anderson at center you had no room protection so there wasn't really a spot for him bertans is mobile enough to get by on the defensive end and he's a little more of a guy that can shoot off the catch than Anderson ever was. Anderson was like, hey, here, here's a spot up big. Whereas yeah. Bertans like runs around off screens. He's like a, a tall JJ Redick. Like <laughs> not not quite as prolific as Redick gets in that area, but he does a lot of the same stuff. And uh so I and it's a little bit less money than it, that Anderson contract was. So I don't I mean I don't hate it. It's it's definitely a little bit of an overpay, but if you're Washington you're going to have to overpay if you want to keep good players because he could go elsewhere for less money on a team that would have a better chance of contention. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't hate it. Uh, I, I guess Washington just has to hope that one of their, their young guys like really pops and exceeds whatever people currently think of as their ceiling. If, yeah, if they, they really need Gary Payton, the second to just <laughs> next steps going for, I, I am for those who don't know, Gary Payton's son, Gary Payton the second, does play for the Wizards. He did this last year. Can't like play on offense at all, but man, did he rack up steals and deflections. I think the some Wizards fans started calling him the mitten. Yep. Terrific nickname. Delightful. Um, and one quick fact before we move on from these the southeastern uh, the southeast division teams here. Uh, one of these teams had the NBA's league leader and charges drawn per game. Who do you think it was of those four teams? Of the the four teams we just talked about, the Hornets, Wizards, Magic, Hawks. One of them has the league leader and charges drawn per game. Oh man, was it Tyler? Was it Zeller? No, no. Then that would be my guess. I don't know. You were right to go with a a white big though, because it was Mo Wagner for the Wizards. Oh wow, zero point six charges drawn per game. Man, uh, <laughs> I know. I actually like I like Wagner a little bit. He he's he's, he's, he's flashed for sure. Like he had some injury trouble last year, but he can, he can shoot a little bit. And if he's out there drawing charges, he's like a an Ursan Ilyasova. That's accolade the out there whereas Urson can at least bang with other guys in the post and is actually a decent defender like that's the only part of Wagner's defense that is good is that he draws charges he's also one of the league leaders in like fouls committed per game so 
I mean, that's well, I, this, is, this is not the time. Thanksgiving is not the day to have a very intricate Mo Wagner discussion. So when is the time then, if not, if not Thanksgiving? Daniel? <laughs> uh, well, moving on to our, my next tier. So I decided to go with five teams here. And these are the five like contenders, but the, not my the absolute favorites to win the conference this next year. I might get some pushback on this. This isn't the order I had them in. At seven, I had the Pacers. At six, the Raptors. At five, the Sixers. At four, the Celtics. And at three, the Nets. What are your thoughts on that, Sean? Um, I definitely agree the Pacers are seven. Yeah, if that's... The, it's, the six, it, they're, they're running it back, and it just doesn't feel that exciting. No. Um, the, the Sixers are definitely that that five, six area. I feel like people are sleeping on the Raptors again a little bit. Just you so, automatically dropping them four spots in the standings. But wait, can I explain that real quick? So I understand what you're saying by that. And I, I was someone who in my season preview of the 2020 season picked the Raptors to finish third in the conference. I was very confident they weren't going to drop off. But, and even the Raptors might finish ahead of six. Like they might finish in the top four in the standings of the conference. But I felt like more putting them at six in terms of their viability of winning the conference because I don't think Siakam is that guy. Like, it is very hard to win if you don't have that big, like, oversized wing creators, like six, five, and up to create shots for you in the playoffs. Siakam really did not look like that guy against the Celtics in the second round of the playoffs this past year. So I think that they can win all these regular season games. I think they get to the playoffs – they can do all these great things. They can win a series. They might even win two, but I really don't think they have enough juice to truly like be a conference winning team. Cause so like, do you think the starting lineup of, cause right now their starting lineup looks like Lowry, Van Vliet, Ananobi, Siakam, Aaron Baines, like likable. I love all the way all those players play. I'm a huge Norman Powell fan. Him off the bench is great, but like, that doesn't sound like a group of world beaters. I mean, and losing Ibaka and Gasol is pretty like, I mean, those were two of your best interior. There's your two interior defenders and they're both gone now. So I just think the Raptors, it's, they can win a ton of regular season games. They're an incredibly well-coached team and a great system, but I just don't think they're a conference winning team. Okay. So you've now shifted from this is where, I think they fall in the standings to well, it's a little I, bit of like a, now, now degree, degree of contenderhood. It's it's a little bit like that. It's, it's vague on purpose. That's how I give myself. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I like Baines a lot for them, but they did lose both Gasol and Nabaka. Like if they had only lost one and had Baines coming in, I kind of feel like it was a wash, but I feel like they definitely lose one rotation piece as a result of losing both those guys and having mains come in. So yeah, that's tough. I think that'll make them worse. Um, but I don't know. I feel like Ananobi could take another leap, mini leap. Like, and, like how, mu- how much of a leap though? Are we talking like, I think Ananobi can, is a probably could have been an all defensive team guys here. And I think he's on offense can at least get to the rim occasionally and hit spot of threes. But what is he really doing besides it? Like, do you think Ananobi's going to be like, given the ball with eight seconds left in the shot clock and create a shot for you. I, I don't see that in the future. 
That's why you got Fred Van Vliet, man. That's why they gave him all that money. <laughs> and that, but it's hard to do that when you're, you're two guys who have to create shots for it, then the shot clock are both six foot one and under. Yeah, I, I know. Um, I, I would just say, like, Toronto won 53 games last year. The Sixers finished sixth and won 43. So do you think they got 10 games worse? I, I don't I mean, also, so that, so that kind of speaks to what you're referring to as, like, what your tiers are representing. Um, because I, I agree, they're definitely they're definitely in the second tier of teams. I don't think are necessarily contenders, but on any given night could beat anybody. Um, and I, we saw that in last year's playoffs, where that Boston Toronto series was just incredible, and every game was a war. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's I think I think Toronto did as much right as you could given their position. Um, it's going to be tough. They're they're playing in Tampa Bay or wherever else this year yeah. they don't really have a, a home court or home location even so that that's going to be difficult i suppose if if we want to factor that into things um which i guess you have to uh yeah it's uh well it'll be interesting i think i think they need ananobi to improve a lot i think they need siakam to kind of refine his closer mentality skill set um so i guess i guess your thoughts on that kind of go a long way to determining what their ceiling is Mm -hmm. so moving on to like those next three teams so would you still say though so that okay so my next three teams were sixers at five celtics at four and nets at three and i was very close to putting the sixers over the celtics just would you agree i wouldn't i wouldn't do that okay I, i i feel like Tatum's that guy so just his continued ascendance is going to be enough to have the Celtics above above the the Sixers I mean I love I love Joel and Ben but Joel and Ben both have significant limitations in in their perceived status as that alpha dog Joel being a big man whose conditioning seems to affect him late in games of of tough games and Simmons with the whole shooting whatever we want to call it. Um, Tatum's just, he's gotten to the point where he can do anything offensively. Like he's, he's hitting pull up threes. Now he can bully his way to the rim. He's an elite. He's a very good uh, free throw shooter and does great to get to the line. Um, He's progressed defensively where he's like an outstanding shot blocker now. And he's mobile to switch across. Very good defender. Yeah. He's, he was, I, I think that's something people didn't quite, give him enough credit for and we, as the as last season progressed and went into the bubble like he was playing outstanding defense especially in the playoffs like he was he was blocking guys from behind he was a, like an off-ball rim protector he was switching across multiple positions like guys much smaller than him like bodying bigger guys up he was doing everything like so I, I, if i'm boston you you have that guy in tatum you you have a lot of really great complementary pieces and it I, I think the Tristan Thompson signing will help. I think he's a significant upgrade over Cantor within the rotation. So they I now mean, have, Yeah, I they, agree with that. It's just, I did want to point this out about Tristan Thompson, how while I understand what he offers and that he is a bigger body that they could use, he was like, so he finished 60% of the rim this past year, which is 15 percentile, which is not very good. And I also like to point out that his best finishing seasons at the rim came with the Cavs when LeBron could throw him lobs, whereas the Celtics, like, I follow, 
of the Celtics fans I know, one of their big things is that the Celtics are just a terrible team at throwing lobs in general. So I think that's just a little aesthetic fit that I don't love. And I also just thought in general, the Celtics had a bad off season. It, they, they can't match that contract that basically Hayward got from the Hornets. They know if they do, it would be like salary cap suicide. But I also don't think they used their picks that well. I think the Peyton Pritchard pick at 26 was just a waste of a pick. I don't think he's going to play that much or be that great going forward. And Aaron Neesmith at 14, while providing shooting off the bench and someone they can probably play right away, I don't think he's much more than that. Is that just like an eighth man you can have out there? They replaced Brad Wanamaker with Jeff Teague, which sure, I guess your offense might work better. But whereas Wanamaker's actually a pretty tough guy on defense, stays in front of people, works really hard. Jeff Teague is like a known sieve on that end. So I I think I just didn't love what the Celtics did. I still kept them in front because you're right that Tatum is that guy. Just the way he creates space, could do so many different things in offense. He progressed as a passer in the bowl and defensively just a six a 6'8 wing with arms as long as his is going to be really good if he knows what he's doing, which he does. But I, so I think it is possible the Sixers had a much better offseason than the Celtics and closed the gap. And I think they're right there where they're like neck and neck. I would still put the Celtics ahead for now, but I think the Sixers and Celtics, it went from, oh my gosh, the Sixers are never going to catch the Celtics. This sucks too. You know, I, I can hear the argument for why they might have gotten past their rivals. For sure. It's gone from, the Sixers got swept by Boston to it would be an incredible series. I would like on par with what the Boston Toronto series was last year. I feel like that's what a Celtic Sixers series would look like. Just that level of the teams being that close and either game being able to go either way. Um, I, I would just give it the edge to Boston in this tier ship, just because the Sixers two guys both have, pretty significant injury histories at this point and injury mm-hmm. concerns. So I feel like Boston's more stable in that department. So I feel like there's less downside risk to their roster building than there is to what the Sixers have now, I guess. Um, but I yeah, I, I definitely feel great about the Sixers offseason. We've, you know, we talked about it on the podcast. We everybody's written about it. Like they've done the right things, so they're definitely back on an up, upward trajectory. So it's Boston's a really good team, uh, and I think any of these teams could conceivably win the East. So it's just about getting a little injury luck and things gelling correctly and getting a few bounces go your way. Yeah, speaking of the Sixers offseason, so I, we should probably just go more in depth on that. Obviously, all the moves, draft, drafting Maxi at 21, trading Al Horford in a future 2025 top six protected pick to the Thunder for Danny Green after the Thunder had traded for Danny Green from the Lakers. Then they also make the trade of Josh Richardson, the 36th pick for Seth Curry. They draft Isaiah Joe at 49. They, recent signs include they signed Dwight Howard. They waived Norvell Powell to sign a shooter. Dakota Mathias played at Purdue a few years ago. It's really, if people ask like how he plays, he's basically just a shooter. That's what he'll provide if he ever gets in. They also traded Zaire Smith, RIP for Tony Bradley. RIP, all the Sixers fans who still believed in Zaire Smith. Can we make an we, RIP joke about a guy that literally almost died under the no, Sixers that, watch? You know, you're right about you're right, Sean. <laughs> I, I, I redact that. I redact it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, 
but um, I feel good for Zaire that he 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 will have a proper dietitian now. Conceivably, well, he, he, wherever he, wherever he ends up. Yeah, because the Pistons, ever the confusing Pistons, they waived him, which makes you wonder why they did the trade. Which I think was purely to like help their their salary cap, like to fit Mason Plumley and Jeremy Grant, which sure, they saved three hundred grand. <laughs> but um, so yeah, that was interesting. Uh, one thing I did, did want to so like, I under, I really like what Daryl Morey's done in terms of a theory in that just providing as much shooting as possible around Joel and Ben with Green and Curry and Maxi. Although his shot needs to improve a little bit, I still think it's gonna be fine. And hit, he's like the long term maybe secondary shot creator. He's also has incredible touch on floaters, really good at getting to the rim, and has like while well, he can bump up his at-rim finishing numbers has shown like some just really impressive moments. I, I think Maxi's going to be really good. We've already talked, we already lost our minds about it on the live stream, how much we like the Maxi pick. And then by signing guys like Dakota Mathias and Ryan Brokov, even though it feels like, Oh, those guys aren't going to do anything. Why do you have them? Why not keep a guy like Norvell Pell? I understand the theory of that. If anything happens to this like core of shooters of green Curry, Maxi, and all, all the guys that are counting on Fur- Furkan Korkmaz and Shake Milton from last year to kind of be the floor spacers. If anything happens injury-wise to any of them or if anyone tails off, Brokov and Matthias both offer shooting, just like pure spot up, come off a few screens, hit hit open shots, and get guys out of the paint when Joel and Ben try to attack. It's just guys you can plug and play as they'll stand out there and the other team will respect the spacing they give. Yeah, it's all been good stuff this offseason. Even even like people yeah, are like right. talking about Brokoff. Like, why do they use a roster? He's a non guaranteed contract that you can have up to twenty guys on your roster. So, like, why why not bring him in the training camp? Uh, he he might not be here in was it three and a half weeks when the season starts. So mm-hmm. definitely a lot more consternation in Sixers land for a non-guaranteed training camp deal than I've ever seen. Um, so I just want to get that out of the way. Uh, yeah, the it's been, a, you know, a great offseason. They've, he was able to get off Horford's contract for not giving up too much in assets. And like that 2025 pick could end up being good, but it could end up being like something we don't really worry too much about. So that's fine. Um, they got a, a useful rotation piece in Danny Green that fits a lot better with your two stars. You go from Richardson, who I like a lot, but you know didn't seem to have a perfect fit here, to a guy in Curry that will be doing all the same things that Reddick did to kind of help Joel and Ben's game and incredibly team-friendly contract for the next few years. So that's great. So you've both helped your short-term roster fit and construction while enhancing your future financial flexibility. And then, uh, yeah, really good draft as, as you discussed. So have to like everything that happened. Um, I wrote about this earlier this week. They still need that, that closer type, but I'm not sure what he could have done to, to get that guy. So hopefully something pops up in the future where more being in a position where he's gotten a few more like usable contracts and there's more flexibility in the future, he'll be better positioned to pounce on a guy like that if they need it 
if that opportunity arises in the future. So yeah, everything, everything's been great about this offseason and Sixers fans are rightfully optimistic about seeing what this, this roster can do on the floor in a few weeks. We need to talk about them signing Dwight Howard, which I, if you had like given me a list of guys, they were going to sign with their very little cap space. Dwight Howard was one of the ones I just would have said laughed at you, but you know, Lo and behold, he's on the roster now. They also, like we said, traded for Tony Bradley, who was a backup center of Utah this past year. It's kind of filling out that backup center spot that we've always worried about with the Sixers. For for years, worried about Joel Embiid, what happens when he's off the court, then overreacted to by signing Al Horford when it was, and obviously don't need to relitigate that. But how do you feel about Dwight Howard being a 76er? It's confusing but fine is is how yeah i i mean i i prior to free agency i wrote an entire article about backup centers the sixers could target i didn't even list wade howard with and which is going back to the lakers yeah and not only that it's like the fact that daryl was a key factor in recruiting dwight here because they had their relationship in houston like everyone would have thought that would have been a deterrent because Dwight's time in Houston didn't like really go well. I think that it's given like that 2014 through 2016, like the first two seasons were actually not that bad. It was just the last season was so like irreprehensibly bad that it just leaves such a stain in everyone's mouth and he hasn't been that good since. So, but yeah, keep going with what you were saying there. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess, I guess just the relationship between Dwight and Harden not being great kind of, made everyone assume that the relationship between Daryl and Dwight wasn't great because, you know, Harden was still there in Houston and uh, Daryl was James's like number one cheerleader slash like uh, fan. So everyone just kind of assumed that things must not have been great between Daryl and Dwight, but apparently they're great. And and that was a big factor in, in Dwight coming here. So yeah, I I guess that was, uh, it was very surprising. Um, Just, from a basketball standpoint, it's it's. I think it's a very good move. They get get them on a minimum, so no harm done there, cap wise. And uh, Dwight, in his role last year, was great, and he he played his part in in the Lakers winning the title. Um, as as a guy that will either start or come off the bench as you need him to, and has finally, you know, come to the acceptance that he's not a guy that should be getting post-ups and demanding the ball and to just go out there and rim run and crash the glass and defend the rim defensively uh that's he's playing that role and he did a great job doing it last year so if he comes in and he plays 15 to 18 minutes a game doing those things and on nights where joel sits for load management reasons he can play 25 minutes a game and and do those things too then that's terrific uh getting a guy like that on a minimum deal is exactly what a smart general manager should do so it was a good signing well i hope dwight has mended relation his relationship with james harden enough to be prepared for when the sixers (laughs) eventually acquire james harden as will obviously happen um one quick thing i wanted to throw out there about dwight is that and this is also about tony bradley i mentioned this in our six our liberty baller slack the other day so the two backup centers the Sixers have picked up and Bradley and Howard of players to play at least 500 minutes last year, 
Tony Bradley was third in personal fouls committed per 100 at 8.4 fouls, and Dwight Howard was fifth with 8.1 fouls, to which you astutely responded, they are going to fill the Norvell Pell role admirably. admirably. For those who don't remember, Norvell, he did not qualify for 500 minutes played, but he did have an astronomical 11.5 fouls per 100, so... When Joel's not in the game, get ready to watch the other team go to the free throw line. Yeah, um, Norvell was, I'm, I'm going, you're, you're coming at me in the paint. I am absolutely going to try 100% to block your shot. And if it doesn't work out and I foul you, so be it. So he, he was definitely a, a high-risk, high-reward defender. Um, yeah, so Dwight and Tony Bradley can continue the, the Norvell Pell legacy in that regard. It wasn't just like challenging shots at the rim too. I remember in the bubble games, I wrote about this way back in the summer where Norvell, he was setting screens. And I love how hard he was trying to set his screens, but he like one time just full on like threw his shoulder out of the way and like clipped the guy in the head. And it's like clearly he gets called for the offensive foul and looks at the ref and it's like, dude, like, do you think no one is watching you set your screen and try to like just absolutely take someone out as I mean, but this is still a pro Norvell Powell podcast. We really hope he does well wherever he goes next. But yeah, I, in general, I think the Sixers did very well this offseason. Like we seem to come to an agreement here just right behind the Celtics, but both in that tier. I thought I might get more pushback about putting the Nets at third. In that they shouldn't be that high or, or so that they should be higher? Which did you when think I, I would lean? When I said that to people I know, people, they were saying I have the Nets too high. I I don't think that. I think there's a significant chance they're the best team in the East if wow. everything breaks right for them. Like if if Kevin Durant is fine, not not in the sense that he's the player he was, but just in the sense that he's fine to play every night and is out there for 30 minutes a night. Like he's still a seven foot player who is arguably like the best shooter in the league yeah that's what we were talking about like Hayden, what makes him so special at being that tall and being able to create why i have problems with the raptors not having guys like that kevin durant is seven feet tall and just remembering how special he was before the injuries he he his last season before the injury he was 98th percentile frequency on mid-range shots but 99th percentile in accuracy which is basically impossible to shoot that many mid-range shots and still be that accurate and he's been higher than 90th percentile in mid-range accuracy since 2014 when he finished a very poor for him 86th percentile in those kinds of shots basically and you can look at every area on the floor he's just efficient from everywhere because he can make any shot like anytime he wants yeah absolutely and you know when golden state and Cleveland were going head to head in those finals and Durant was like pulling up in LeBron's face. There there was there's like an argument to be made that he was the best player in the world. So I, I think he was when he got hurt at the time. Like that remember that Warriors Clipper series in the first half of the Warriors Rocket series? He was just like out of his mind, like 45 points per game and just not missing from three. Plus he was like playing some center for them and like being an outstanding rim protector slash defender. Like he was, he was literally doing everything and okay. So he had the injury, which sucks. It is he 80% of the guy that he was, if he was, he's still like an incredible player. And 
you, so you have him, you have Kyrie coming back, you have all of the, the really good pieces that propelled Brooklyn to, to still being the seventh seed without those two guys. And they, uh, they made some good roster moves this off season to kind of complement those guys. So injury Shamit being one of the big ones to acquire him as just a shooter. You can plug and play. Yeah. And they brought Harris back. So they have Harris and Shamit. So for 48 minutes a game, they're going to have this elite shooter just running all over the place, causing mm-hmm. defenders no amount of frust- no limit of frustration, um, having to to track this guy while worrying about either Durant or Kyrie with the ball in his hands. So I I don't know what you, the problem with the Brooklyn roster is like their two stars are injury prone, but if they're healthy then they're probably the best team in the East. So I think putting them third, factoring in that injury risk is appropriate. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's just one of the big things. I, I just, I under, and I don't love Kyrie as a player, and I understand some of the problems they still have. Like, they have a lot of guys who like to, ha- like to have the ball in their hands with Karis LeVert and Spencer Didwindy still on the roster too right now. But I just have such overwhelming faith in Durant as a player that it just supersedes what I think my concerns are for them. So obviously going through all these teams that leaves the heat and the bucks at one and two. Now I wavered back and forth on this and cause like my basic explanation was, I feel like you might feel similar, but I'll just put it out there. Like I think the bucks are the best team, but I would pick the heat over the bucks in a specific matchup. Yeah. It's kind of that, regular season versus playoff thing that we not only talk about a lot with the Bucks, obviously, because it seems to happen every year with them, but we, we talk about it a little bit with the Sixers just because aside from the, the Butler era, it's the playoffs are a different animal and you need that guy to kind of like, hey, the defense is locked in. It's been a grinded out half court affair. We need that guy that can just manufacture points against a set defense um, against, against an opponent that for a week and a half now has been doing nothing but game plan how to stop your offense. Whereas mm-hmm. a regular season, you're catching a team that at most probably had like one night of film study to figure out what you're doing and try to combat it. Um, or maybe even caught you on a back to back and like has very, had like an hour briefing on what you're trying to do. Um, the playoffs are just a completely different animal so it's it's imperative for milwaukee that you know Giannis becomes that guy and i mean he could because he's an incredible player and deserving you know most valuable player in the league uh but we've seen miami do it so it's a little bit of like show me what you can do milwaukee and um just in, in regards to the Bucks offseason, like we'll talk about that, but it, it all it all will come down to whether the moves they made were what Giannis wanted to to sign that supermax. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's going to hinge on that. Like you can talk about the Bogdanovich debacle and whether they a gave debacle, up a debacle. It certainly was, <laughs> yeah. and um, whether they gave up way too much to bring Drew Holiday in on a expiring deal. Um, but if if what they did is enough for Giannis to still be with the franchise for another five years, then that that then they were the right moves. And if it wasn't, then they were they were the wrong moves. And that's basically what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. 
I, I definitely would have put the Bucks number one if like by good margin if they had been able to get Bogdan Bogdanovich. Just because a starting five of him, Drew Holiday, Giannis, Chris Middleton, and Brooke Lopez is just very good in my opinion. You have a lot of shot creation there, some shooting, defense, size, just so much. And obviously we understand why it couldn't go through with the whole thing of them agreeing to like a restricted free agent agreeing to the trade deals. And probably that could have gotten out from like Bogdan's agent because he heard that he could get more money elsewhere from the Hawks or other teams like that. It also kind of like do what he wanted to do for the heat. They really didn't do that much. They basically are bringing everyone back. They're kind of swapped in Mo Harkless for Jay Crowder drafted precious Achua center from Memphis at 20. Some people think precious is like a power forward. He's definitely more of a center type in my opinion. And the one thing just too, as some people joked online is that what also hurts is the bucks not being able to trade more of their depth for um, Bogdan will encourage bud to play deep into it too deep into his rotation in the playoffs again, where, you know, like, you know, we don't need Pat Connaughton getting 18 minutes in game six, bud. Like you can, you can ease off. (laughs) (laughs) Despite the fact that through their, mismanagement of the salary cap they they ended up having to give pat Connaughton an extra year than they wanted yeah, to yeah that was so and you also could help because they the trade fell through they had to waive ursan Ilyasova, ursan Ilyasova and ursan lost seven million guaranteed he lost yeah. how, how mad do you think ursan is that he thought he was about to be going to sacramento and just play the next year make seven million a year fine whatever and instead he gets cut and loses seven million dollars I, I I'd be upset. I, I I don't I don't know what it feels like to lose seven million dollars, but I imagine it's not great. <laughs> it's probably very upsetting. And like as as even if like you have conflicted, I feel like I still like Urson as a Sixer. Like even if I didn't love the moves the Sixers made to acquire him, especially the first time getting rid of Jeremy Grant, um, Urson is still like. Or I I enjoyed watching Urson when he was with the Sixers. Yeah, I I mean you have to to separate management decisions from player production um it's like it's like the old thing like uh, richard lewis said i don't know why fans hated me like anyone that had that contract placed in front of them would have signed it if you didn't like the contract blame management um so it's kind of that philosophy where you can't really blame a player for how he was brought in um yeah i i, I thought he him and joel were very effective together um mm-hmm. and that 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 was a big reason that they they brought him back for that second stint because joel kind of wanted them to because he liked the the floor spacing that Ursan gave him next next to him in the front court. Um so yeah, he he came in. He was he didn't cause any waves. He you know, he went about his business and uh, you know, made made shots and and drew a ton of charges, which was always fun. So, yeah, I I enjoyed Ursan in a sixers uniform. It was is nothing but good memories for me. And as for the heat, like Having them at two, you might think, oh, maybe the Heat should be number one. They're the defending conference champs, and they're bringing back pretty much everyone. The big concern with them is that they they shot, like, almost unsustainably well all season, and especially in the playoffs. I know Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, they're all great shooters, but, like, Myers Leonard was over 40% of the season. Kelly Olynyk was over 40%. Jay Crowder, amazingly, she was shooting 29% from three with the Grizzlies, then for, like, two straight months of the heat shot 50 something percent they no matter who they put in around jimmy and bam they were all just scorching hot from three and 
it's just it is very hard to keep relying on that and maybe it keeps up and if it does they are going to be just so hard to stop offensively because when you have two really big guys who can put the ball on the floor and make great decisions like Jimmy and Bam can and then you put three awesome shooters around them it's like it's probably like some something like we like to see with the Sixers where it's just really hard to stop but I they just are they going to keep shooting that well and I do think that a team like the Raptors was a team I thought would have been a bad matchup for the Heat and they didn't have to play them but and, and you also remember the Celtics like the Celtics in that Heat series, the Celtics were leading in the fourth quarter of all four games they lost with, like, not that much time left. The, the Celtics really fell – they let a lot of the games go in that series that they feel like they could have won. I think the scoring differential, like, the Heat only outscored them by, like, five points on the series. So you can also look at that. But obviously the Heat are a very good team. They proved it all last year. Despite all the inj- horrible injury luck they had in the finals, they still brought it to six games. So – I mean, I don't. I still think like I'd pick the Bucks over more teams in specific matchups than I would the Heat. Just like I could see, like if the Nets have a really healthy season and are really good, I would probably think they could beat the Heat. But think a team like the Bucks would give them more trouble, especially like I mean, if we get Giannis versus Durant in a series, that is going to be spectacular. But I, I just I, does it make sense what I'm saying here, Sean? Yeah, for sure. Um... I'll I'll add to that. Like it wouldn't surprise me if Miami finished fifth in the regular season again. They're they're just a team that is built for the playoffs in the sense that I think Butler more than any other star kind of takes nights off during the regular season. Like he has more games where he'll just he'll score twelve points and you'll be like after the game you'll think wow Jimmy just really wasn't involved very much and I think that's just kind of him realizing that this is a grind and you don't really need to it it, it's less consequential versus once once the playoffs come around and he's doing nothing but push-ups on the hotel room floor at 3 a.m you can can take you can score 12 (laughs) points in a regular season game when you do deadlifts at 4 a.m the next day right like he's he's doing nothing but uh he's not inviting his family to the bubble because he's here for business and uh, he's doing nothing but push-ups and slinging coffee. Like the, he just takes his game to another level in the playoffs. And then Bam Adebayo is, he's literally like the perfect center for playoff basketball, but you don't want to. He has wrists of steel, apparently. I, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that. So apparently he's part Wolverine, which is good. <laughs> um, and, uh, but, but you don't really want to play him at the center full time in the regular season, just because it's, it's, it's a long season and you don't want him to accumulate all the wear and tear that that encompasses. So having that little bit of a shift in role for him once the playoffs come, comes around is, is very beneficial for Miami. Um, so yeah, it, I, I, I think it will be not surprising if they're, they're kind of where they were in the regular season last year, but then, you know, no one's going to want to play on the playoffs and regarding the kind of shooting outlier performance that you, you touched on, which was definitely a factor in them surprising some people and making it to the finals. I think they also have the room for growth of like, Hey, Tyler hero and Duncan Robinson are both really young and they're still improving. And I think more so hero has like, we saw him in the playoffs. There, there were some games where Tyler hero was like the best guy on the floor for extended stretches, like out of nowhere. So there's definitely room for him to continue progressing 
and um, be be go from that guy like, hey, he's just running around hitting shots off the screen to like he was driving to the hole and just going up through multiple defenders and finishing and just no fear at all. And if he can kind of take that and do it over longer stretches of both games and like go for weeks at a time where he's scoring, you know, 18 points a game pretty consistently, then they, that, that would be enough to kind of offset that, that shooting outlier performance. I think just having another guy that they can look to in those situations consistently. Well, the heat should certainly be a very good team next year as should the bucks. The East seems loaded with some really good contenders, maybe not as deep as the West, but, still very tough at the top uh yeah, the, the the west the west has like 10 teams whereas the east the east has a really strong top six the, the west though has like four every team in the west is going to be trying to win except the thunder and maybe the kings it looks like and maybe the spurs but every other team really thinks they can make the playoffs whereas the east you kind of have like an accepted tier of those bottom four teams that know they're just not doing anything but yeah either way it should be a really fun season that is rapidly approaching as we speak. Again, just running through the tiers I had listed here the team in the order. I had at 15, the Knicks, 14, the Pistons, 13, the Cavs, 12, Bulls, 11, Wizards, 10, Hornets, 9, Magic, 8, Hawks, 7, Pacers, 6, Raptors, 5, your Philadelphia 76ers, 4, the Celtics, 3, Nets, and then kind of a 1-2 amalgamation of the Bucks and the Heat, depending on conditions and stuff like that. Uh, Sean, it has been great talking to you on this Thanksgiving day. I know we got football the rest of the day. And yeah, I hope you have a great holiday, man. You too, Daniel. And uh, happy Thanksgiving to, to everybody out there listening. And yeah, less than a month till the NBA season actually starts. So it'll, it'll be here before we know it. So looking forward to it. Less than a month till Tony Bradley and Dwight Howard end some poor young center's career, like the double foul in the middle of a game. Do, do are they are they going to go to Dwight? So we didn't talk about this, but there was the graphic going around on Twitter where somebody put put Dwight Howard at power four next to Embiid in the starting it an, lineup. It was, a, it was first take had that as the graphic. In. <laughs> like, <laughs> what what <laughs> level of basketball analysis do you think is required to be a first take graphic person that you would think the Sixers will start Dwight Howard next to Joel Embiid? Oh, um. It, it makes me it makes me uh sometimes i wonder how i get paid to talk about basketball but then i realize there's people getting a lot paid a lot more to talk about basketball that do stuff like that and then i don't feel as uh i don't have as much of an imposter syndrome when when i see stuff like that <laughs> oh my gosh uh, i think that's a good note to end on uh yeah thanks again so much sean for coming on thanks you Thank you all to the listeners out there. We'll be back again next week. And yeah, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Yep. Uh, yeah. All the best to you and your family, Daniel. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. to do's less time and an infinite number of tools to keep track of sometimes doing business has never felt harder but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals you can just use hubspot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier imagine this high quality leads 
fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.